Uh, if you're our guest, we've been in a series that we have entitled The Story of God, and we've been walking through the Old Testament, and I put together this really detailed summary that you could keep and decided that it didn't look quite good enough yet, so we'll find another way to give you a complete hold in your hand like summary of the Old Testament. But I thought today, why don't we just put eight words up here and let eight spaces, I don't know if you have a place to write, but if you, if you look at this, I want us to go over the big headers and just remind you, then we'll read a verse for today and let it be where we meditate and, and close out the hour. So I don't know if you have something to write with or not, we didn't bother to try to get everybody a pen, but I just want you to go over in your mind at least the, the history, we're not going to put them up one at a time, it's just going to be flash on the screen and I'll walk through, all right, you ready? So you remember that we started out with the beginnings, that's a good place to start, right? Uh, we started out in creation, and in creation we saw that God made man in his image, and then we saw that Adam and Eve sinned, and God promised even then that he would send Jesus. We've said all along, this thing's pointing to Jesus, he is the thread that ties it all together. Adam and Eve tried to cover their own sin, and God said, no, I'm going to provide a covering for you. And we saw that first promise of the coming Messiah. Following that, we did not look at, at the flood, but you know that's where Noah fit in. And then we moved on, and Johnny introduced to you Abraham. As you looked at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham was called from the land of Ur and brought into the promised land. And God promised him that through his seed, all the nations would be blessed. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all received that promise from God, that messianic promise, that promise of the Messiah that would come through their seed. And Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Uh, Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and Joseph was one. <laughs> and Joseph went to Egypt, and that's how the Jews wound up in Egypt. As they were there, they fell into bondage because their was raised up a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. And the Bible says that they worked hard and labored there in Egypt, and they were there for 400 years. But God raised up a deliverer named Moses. Moses came and brought the people out. After the plagues and the Passover, they, they were released. They came out to the Red Sea, and it parted. They went across on dry land, and then God gave them the pattern for worship in the tabernacle, and he gave them the law to describe for them how they were to get along with each other and how they were to treat other people. The law revealed their need for God and their need for his mercy because none of us can measure up, no, not one. Following that, they were ready to go into the land. They sent out 12 spies. You remember what happened? Uh, two came back and said, we can do it. Ten said, we'll be like grasshoppers if we go in there and they'll stomp on us. They're giants in the land. So they didn't go in. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and a generation died out. And then they finally entered the promised land. When they entered the promised land, Joshua, you know a song about him, and you know about Jericho, and they went in and they conquered the land, they settled the land, and then they were ruled by judges. Judges were there. God would raise up a judge. They would repent and turn to God. They'd fall in sin again, and then God would raise up another judge. And they went through that cycle so many times, they finally said, hey, we want to be like everybody else. Give us a king. And so God said, okay, you can have a king. 
you remember that the priest went and said, oh, God, they've rejected you, rejected me. And they said, no, he hasn't rejected you, priest. They've rejected me. But let's go ahead and give them what their heart desires and let them be like everybody else. And so God gave them a king. You remember there were three kings in the United Kingdom, Saul, David, Solomon. Saul had no heart for God. David, though he sinned, was said to be a man who had a whole heart for God. And then Solomon, his son, was half-hearted. He, though he was wise, he did not follow God with all of his heart. And following him, the divided kingdom. When they were divided, it was the north and the south. Ten tribes to the north, two in the south. The two in the south, God kept them in the land longer. The ten tribes went away into uh, exile to Assyria. They never returned. The two in the south went, went away to exile in Babylon, and they would return. Last week, we left them in exile. And so today, we finally get them returned in the land, and they remained in the land for 400 years of silence before the coming of Christ. So that's the timeline and the chronology of the story of God in the Old Testament. I left out a few things. Could you tell? All right. And I bet you're glad because you got a little worried when I spent so much time on creation. You went, how long is this going to take? All right. We finally got them. They're in exile. Now today they're coming back to the land. If you want to remember what happened in the restoration, you can remember it with these three things. We're going to put them on the screen and just camp out here a little while today. These three things, Zerubbabel, who built the temple, and then Nehemiah, who built the walls, and Ezra, who was used to build the people through the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, or if you want to dial it up on your smartphone, we're coming to Ezra and Nehemiah. Some have said those should be one book and not two. But Ezra and Nehemiah, it's right before Psalms, because your Old Testament, unfortunately, is not put together chronologically in the way we have it in our English, so you can't really figure out where the history goes, all right? But we come to Ezra, and in, in the book of Ezra, I'll tell you what, why don't, we, why don't we just read Nehemiah? Because if you found Ezra, you're close anyway, all right? You know, go to Nehemiah, and let me read one verse for you out of Nehemiah and, and look at what happened when Ezra was reading to them the Scripture. And this is where we'll put these three together today. Ezra, excuse me, Nehemiah chapter 8. We're talking about Ezra, <laughs> okay? Nehemiah chapter 8. The scripture says in end of verse 1 that Ezra, the scribe, brought the book of the law that God had given to Israel. Verse 4 says, Ezra, the scribe, stood on a high wooden platform that was made for that purpose. And then verse 5 says, Ezra opened the book, of the book in full view of the people since he was elevated above everyone, he opened it, and when he did, the people stood up. Have you ever been in a church where they said, the pastor said, all right, it's time to read the Word of God, everybody stand? I've done that in some of my ministries for years to remind people that we're listening to the Word of God and not just to a man. The Bible says they stood up, and the Word of God was read. And we're going to look at their response in just a moment. But let me ask you, what will be your response today as the word of God is opened, as the word of God is read, as the word of God is preached, would you be willing to risk a very simple prayer? Lord God, speak to my heart. 
You know the great thing about standing here as a preacher? I really don't have to know every problem in your life. I really don't have to know everything that you're facing this next week, this next month, this next year. All I have to know is that God knows all of that about you. And if we'll open his word together, by his spirit, he will use his word to speak to your heart. Would you be willing to pray, Lord God, speak to my heart? Let's pray together. Lord, we open your word now with great reverence. We know that it is the very word of God. So we ask you now to speak to us in a very personal way. By your spirit, use your word and reveal to us what we need to know in this day at this time and our relationship with you. So we wait, we listen, we look to you, and we pray a very simple prayer. Lord God, speak to my heart. Let's pray that out loud together. Lord God, speak to my heart. And Lord, as you speak, we'll know that it's you. So now we listen for your voice. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You remember that when the children of Israel went into exile, they didn't all go at one time. They went back, they went at different times to Babylon. Now God has raised up a new king, and now this king of Persia is beginning to release them and send them back. So now let's go back to the book of Ezra, if you still have your Bible on your lap, and let's look at what happened when Zerubbabel went and started to build the temple in Ezra chapter 3. In Ezra 3 verse 10, it says, The builders had laid the foundation of the Lord's temple. The priests dressed in their robes and holding trumpets, and the Levites descended from Asaph holding symbols. They took their position to praise the Lord as King David of Israel had instructed them. They sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love to Israel endures forever. There's that quality of his character that continues to be repeated in praise that, that the Lord is good and his mercy, his loving kindness endures forever. All the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites, and family leaders who had seen the first temple wept loudly when they saw the foundation of this house. But the others shouted joyfully. The people couldn't distinguish the sound of joyful shouting and that of weeping because the people were shouting so loudly and the sound was heard far away. It was kind of like yesterday in Athens. You couldn't tell the difference between the weeping and the shouting, right? One team was winning, one team was losing. That was a little joke just to see if you're still listening. All right, are you there? Think about it. They just put the foundation in place. They were celebrating the rebuilding of the temple but the old ones who had seen the previous temple said, it's nothing like the other one. The other temple was bigger, and it was. The other temple was more majestic, and it was. There are times in our life that we remember the way God worked in the past, and it was good. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with remembering his great work. There's nothing wrong with remembering what he has done. 
but there is something wrong if we live there and are not willing to see God at work now. The older generation, I don't think they were doing anything wrong. I don't think they were saying we, we want to go back to the good old days. I think they were saying God deserves such a good name known among the nations. And here this little house is nothing like the big house that we used to have. The scripture goes on to describe God's plan for his temple. And God even said to them that it will experience an even greater glory than the first. How could that be? I'll tell you how it could be. A few hundred years after this dedication of the temple, Jesus walked in to the temple. His parents brought him to be dedicated. We'll read that soon. We, we know that he came back to study and sat there and amazed the, the people with his knowledge. And we know that one day he entered the city and, and said, going to tear down this temple and it's going to be raised up again in three days. And they said, what are you talking about? He said, you really don't understand God's plan for his temple because he wants you to be the place where he lives. God could never be contained in a building made with hands. God could never be contained, even though we come into this room and we say, wow, I have such reverence as I come in because I want to worship God. That's good. But God doesn't live in this room. Aren't you glad that you don't leave him here today when you walk out? But to know that you are the very temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you. As they came back here in these days and Ezra was used, Zerubbabel was used to, to build the temple, God was still trying to lay in them the hunger and the need that one day he would send Jesus. Now, turn to your right in your Bible, the book of Nehemiah, and we open up in Nehemiah chapter 1. I, like many other pastors, have preached Nehemiah as a book on leadership, looking how God used a leader like Nehemiah to lead the people. But I have to tell you, if you read the whole book of Nehemiah, it's not necessarily that successful. <laughs> All right? They built the walls, but also the people did not follow God with a whole heart. So the good things that a leader can celebrate and the difficult things that a leader has to face or sometimes leave. But Nehemiah heard about Jerusalem. Remember, they, they were in exile. And the Bible says that when he heard about it, he asked them, tell me, verse 2 of chapter 1 of Nehemiah, he questioned them about Jerusalem and the remnant that had returned from the exile. And they said to me, the survivors in the province who have returned from the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's walls have been broken down and its gates have been burned down. And when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And then it gives his prayer. When Nehemiah heard that the walls were down, his heart broke for his homeland. Because you see, the, the walls represented a place of security. It represented a place where, like when you feel like when you come home, my 95-year-old father-in-law 
got displaced into exile during Thanksgiving, all right? <laughs> my, my son-in-law came and took him, put him in a truck, and drove him down to South Georgia, where he loves to go. And they have two houses there on the old farmland, and he sat in the one, and he looked at the fire all the time during Thanksgiving so that we could be gone, because KK's primary caregiver. I wish you could have heard Big D when he got home last night, though. It sure is good to be home. I'm telling you, there's not another chair in the world like this recliner I got right here, you know. You know what it's like to be gone for a while and and to get to come back home and to enjoy it. Nehemiah heard that the people were going back home and couldn't enjoy it. Because the city had been destroyed. The walls had been destroyed. It was not a secure place. And... The scripture tells us that God used Nehemiah. I, I love the, what happened after he had prayed all this prayer in chapter 1. It, it says that he was a cupbearer in, in chapter 2. And that meant he stood before the king and he tasted the king's food. You know, they, they brought it in and he, he had the pizza. He tasted it, you know. And if he, if he didn't die, then the king could eat pizza. And they brought it in, gave him a cup, and he drank the wine. And if he didn't die, then the king could drink wine with his pizza. Okay, so that's how all that went. And so he was standing there, and you couldn't be sad in the king's presence. It was against the law. I mean, the king had enough problems without the people who were standing there as cupbearers being sad. So you had to fake it. You had to be happy all the time. I think that's a great rule, you know. If, if, you're, if you're around the pastor, you have to fake. No, I'm just kidding, all right. But, but there, there, there he was, and, and he was sad, and the king could tell it. And so the king said, hey, what's wrong with you, man? And he could have been killed for that very reason of just being sad. But I love what happened in Nehemiah 2. Uh, when the king said, uh, Why, what's wrong with you? Are you sick? This is nothing but sadness with heart. He said, I was overwhelmed with fear. Why was he afraid? Because he could be killed for being sad. So he said, may the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city of my ancestors are buried, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed with fire? Then the king asked me, what is your request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Remember that, flare prayer, okay? That's a great flare, flare prayer for you to know. There comes times in your life that you've got to give an answer and you go, okay, God, here we go. And you ask God to put it into practice. Now, let me tell you something. Nehemiah had been praying before the flare prayer, okay? He had been praying before that time, preparing to know what he was going to ask if he ever got the moment. Sometimes you're praying about what to pray about. Sometimes you're praying about what to even ask. But here Nehemiah said, okay, God, I need your help. And when he told the king what was going on, the king said, okay, how long are you going to be gone? He gave him a definite time, verse 6 says. Then he said, okay, since he's given me personal time off, I'm just going to take this another step. And he said, king, here's what I really need. I need you to give me some letters that will give me rites of passage, but also to get some materials that it's going to take to redo this wall. And the king answered his prayer and Nehemiah kept saying, because the good hand of my God was upon me. God blessed Nehemiah. He went back to the city. The people had a heart to work. And the scripture says that they built the walls and it was completed. In chapter 6, verse 15, the wall was completed in 52 days. 
That was one of the most incredible building projects you've ever seen. As they restored the walls around Jerusalem because God had prepared the way and God had given the people a heart to work. Those are some great lessons. But I'm just trying to show you that God was restoring his people to the land for a purpose. Zerubbabel, the temple, waiting until one day Jesus would come. The walls through Nehemiah, waiting through one day that Jesus would enter the gate and they would shout, Hosanna. There's one more, Ezra. Ezra was used to help rebuild the people. And this passage that we read a moment ago is found in the book of Nehemiah. The scripture tells us that Ezra in cha chapter 8 took the book of the law and he stood before the people. And I want you to notice what happened. I didn't keep reading a moment ago. I just told you that when he opened the book, the people stood out of respect. Nehemiah 8 verse 6 says, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, with hands uplifted. The people said, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down to the Lord with their faces to the ground. And it gives the names of the people there. In verse 8 it says, they read the book of the law, translating it, giving it meaning so the people could understand what was read. By the way, that's part of what a preacher is supposed to do. To present the word of God, to have it read, and to then see if we can apply it and understand what we're reading if we can understand how it applies to our life. I don't quite know how they did it, but there was this incredible crowd that was there. There were people along the way that were uh, interpreting and applying it to the people standing nearby. Verse 9 says that Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Let me ask you, why were they crying when they heard the scripture? I can only guess from the context what was going on. Do you know what happens when you open up this book? It becomes like a mirror into your soul. It begins to show you what God is like, what you are like and why you desperately need the Lord the word of God was being read the covenant of God was being explained the commands of God were being given and the people were under such great conviction as they heard the word of God spoken kind of reminds me what happened on the day of Pentecost do you remember Peter stood and he took the scripture and applied it to the Messiah and told them why Jesus had to die and how he was raised from the dead. And the Bible records in Acts chapter 2 that the people were pierced to their heart. How many times have you opened the word of God in private and it's just like God was reading your mail? How many times have you gone to church and you heard the preacher preach and it was like God knew exactly what you needed and was speaking to you about that point? 
I've had people come by me at the back door on the way out and say, while you were preaching today, God said this. And I think, well, God must have said that because I didn't say anything like that, okay? But God takes his word, pierces our heart, brings home the truth that we need. When these people heard the word of God, they were under such great conviction that they began to mourn and they began to weep. Verse 9 says, The people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Then Ezra said, Go and eat what is rich. Sounds like he's about to describe your Thanksgiving meal there, all right? I never eat sweets. Man, I ate so much pie and cake, you know, I don't know. Do you ever? And I could tell, too. I felt pretty bad the next day. But anyway, he said, go and eat what is rich. Drink what is sweet. Send portions to those who have nothing prepared. Today is holy to the Lord our God. Do not grieve. And some of you have been singing songs about this all your life, and you never knew where they came from. Because... The strength comes from rejoicing in the Lord. Most of the songs say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Did you know that that one great line that you have heard in singing and in claiming God's presence and working in your life comes in the context of people who were crying and weeping and mourning over sin you know it always works that way repentance and believing are two sides of the same coin conviction of sin and rejoicing in forgiveness two sides of the same coin sometimes we lack joy because we've not been willing to get real with the Lord And sometimes we've gotten real with the Lord and we stay under the condemnation of the evil one instead of letting the Lord say, but no, I forgive you and I restore you to a relationship with me. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So as you think about the restoration, I hope you will at least have a place in your mind to hang these three things the three big movements and events of coming back from exile. Zerubbabel built the temple that one day Jesus would explain how he was replacing it. Nehemiah built the walls, trying to give them security that they could only find in God himself. And Ezra rebuilt the people as he explained the word of God to them. So how does that come to us today? We've said that Jesus is the thread that holds it all together. I just decided to give you one more slide up here that will show you how this works. Our relationship is restored to God through Jesus. The temple, we can know the presence of God. The walls, we can know the protection of God. The word, we can know direction from God. Now the sad part is, that though the people came back from exile, this story did not have a Hollywood ending for quite a while. They stayed in the land for 400 years without a prophet. 
For 400 years, there was no word from God. From 400 years, there was silence. And then one day, in a little place called Bethlehem, God broke the silence and sent his king to walk on planet earth and to establish a whole new kind of kingdom in the hearts of his people. You may not remember, but when we started this Old Testament thing, we we told you about this little storybook Bible. We told you all that you could have one and you still can. Okay, there's still some out there. And some of you think, well, I don't have any kids. Come on, you are a kid. This might help you, all right? It might help you to go in and read some of these stories like you would put before a kid. And we looked at this one today, and it, it really is the last one before the Luke chapter 1. I'm not going to read it all to you, but just listen to how this writer tries to put it down for children. Have you ever been to a party that lasted a whole week? How about a sermon that went on all day? No comments or amens at the moment, all right? We're almost through. Hang on. If we'd have kept reading in the book of Ezra, we'd have, we'd have, I mean, Nehemiah, we'd have seen how they went and they established the feast and they started going through. And the, there's lots more to read there. I hope you'll take time to read it maybe this afternoon. That's what happened God's people after they came home from being slaves. They had forgotten how God wanted them to live or who they were supposed to be. So Ezra and Nehemiah read them from God's book given to Moses. And something odd happened. The more the sermon went on, the sadder they got. Why? Was the sermon that bad? No, not really. It was strange, you see. As Ezra read the book of the rules, it was like a mirror. It showed them what they were like, and they didn't like what they saw. They saw that they had not been living the way they should. They saw that they were cruel and selfish. They cried, we've blown it. God's going to punish us. They thought that they knew what God was going to do, but they didn't. Of course, They might have picked up a clue from Ezra. His name means help is here. And they could have gotten an even stronger clue from Nehemiah's name. His name means God wipes away our tears. And that, you see, is what God was getting ready to do. Ezra looked at God's children. Great hot tears were welling up in their eyes and streaming down their cheeks. And he stopped the sentence Stopped the sermon mid-sentence and shut the book and said, okay then, we're going to have a party. And that's just what they did all week long. They listened to the stories of God's wonderful things that he had done for his people. How he had made the world. Genesis. How he had given a special promise to Abraham. How he had rescued them from slavery. How he spoke to Moses and showed them how to live. How he brought them into a special land. How he rescued them no matter what time after time over and over again. Because of his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, unbreakable, always and forever love. 
They remembered how God had always, all through the years, been loving for his children, keeping his promise to Abraham, taking care of them and forgiving them, even when they disobeyed, even when they ran away from him, even when they thought they didn't need him. Then God told his children something more. I can't stop loving you because you are my heart's treasure. But I lost you and now I'm coming back for you. I am like the sun that gently shines on you, chasing away darkness and fear and death. And you'll be so happy. You'll be like little calves running free in an open field. I'm going to send my messenger, the promised one, the one you've been waiting for, the rescuer. He is coming, so get ready. It had taken centuries for God's people to be ready, but now the time had almost come for the best part of his plan. God himself was going to come, not to punish his people, but to rescue them. He was getting ready to wipe away every tear from every eye, and the true party was just about to begin. Jesus, the promise of God to restore worship to his people, to restore safety to his people, and to give direction to his people.